Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. If you'd open up your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, the final chapter, Hebrews 13, and our final study, a final word, if you will, uh, verses 18 to 25, as we finish up this wonderful book that we started uh, in June of last year. So 32 studies in, uh, we finally come to the doxology, part of this story, if you will, of the book of Hebrews, this group of Jewish Believers, it was written to by an unknown author. And they received a message that was probably shocking to many of them. And by the same token, we as the church need to be reminded of the message that it is by grace through faith that we are saved. It's not of ourselves, it isn't our religious endeavors, it's not all of the things that we would say make up church, the things that we do, the things that Uh, occupy our time even when we come to a corporate meeting like this. This isn't what saves us. What saves us is a vertical relationship with the Savior, Jesus. Notice verse 18, pray for us. That's an admonition. The writer of Hebrews acknowledges in these final words, pray for us. Why? Because the church has been under attack since its beginning. Leadership has been under, its, under attack since the beginning. The, the enemy would love to destroy the church, and if the enemy could destroy the church from inside the church, then he doesn't have to put much pressure on from outside. If we're not united one with another, if we're not praying one for another, if we don't recognize that we rise and fall together, if we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, then we're opening the door for the enemy. And so this morning, let's do exactly that. Let's pray. Let's pray for us together. Father, we come And we ask of you, our Father who is in heaven, Lord, for the daily bread we need in this moment, Lord, for the forgiveness we need in this moment, Lord, that you would provide for us, that you would watch over us, that you would cause our minds to receive from heaven that which is your good and perfect will for these moments that we'll spend together And so, Lord, we give you this time, and we pray that you would speak to us as your church. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Some final words. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience. Now, if you think back on these 32 studies that we've done in this particular book, there have been a lot of hard things that have been said. Some things that were difficult to hear, that that it's very much impossible for one who has tasted of the good fruits of God 
to reject them and to be brought again under repentance. Those are difficult things. The writer of the book of Hebrews is responsible for the most taxing book that we have in the entire Bible when it comes to our understanding of God. We've been tested. We've been asked to really check our own hearts. And so he says, pray for us. But he also says, I know what I said is true. That the Holy Spirit had spoken truth through the writer of Hebrews. That Jesus is infinitely better than Judaism. That he's a better high priest. He's a better sacrifice. In every way, he was better than Moses. All these things that we might be tempted to look back on and say, well, you know, I, you know that's good for you, but I, I kind of like to stick with the Old Testament ways. The writer of Hebrews says, I have a good conscience about what I spoke. I know that what I said was true. In all things, desiring to live honorably, one of the difficulties that all leaders have is they have to preach every message to themselves first. Got to preach every message to ourselves first. And if it's not true for me, then why would I expect you to believe a word of it? If I don't live it, then I can't expect you to follow my example. And I think the important part here is desiring to live honorably also means to live without reproach, without hypocrisy, without trying to be something that you're not without trying to feign holiness. He says, look, I have a clear conscience and I want my life to be honorable and the honorable thing to do is to honor the Lord in all things. All things. But I especially urge you to do this that I may be restored to you sooner pray. This is one of the passages, it's actually the only passage that makes mention in a way that we might think that the Apostle Paul may have written this book, but I don't think the evidence is conclusive. And now may the God of peace, God of peace, there wasn't a lot of peace between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers at this point in time. Now may the God of peace We could extrapolate that out a little bit and look at our various communities that we dwell in. The things that divide us are supposed to be conquered by the God of peace. The things that separate us, the socioeconomic issues, the racial issues, the political issues, the things that divide should be conquered by the God of peace. Christ in us is our hope of glory. It's really nothing else. And if we have Christ in us, the God of peace in us, the outflow of that peace is peace with other people. If we're truly walking in a way that honors the Lord, if we're living lives that are beyond reproach, then the God of peace that's redeemed us should speak redemptively to others through our lives. That there's no one beyond his reach. 
that there's no one so broken they can't be mended, that there's no divide that can't be crossed. There's no thing that happens to us that hasn't happened to others before us and that he is not sufficient for. Church, this doxology really draws us back to the central truth that our God is a God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. And because he is raised, we also shall be raised. Amen? It's the central truth of Christianity. Jesus is alive. Amen? He's alive. We don't serve a religion. We serve the risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is with us no matter what men may say. He's alive. Sometimes I think we don't show the world that he's actually alive because we almost act like he's dead. Our faith isn't alive. It doesn't do anything. It's like we've received it. We kind of sort of believe it, but we want to keep it for ourselves. If you have live faith, then others can be made alive by that same faith, and you should be sharing your alive faith. And that faith should be doing good works. It should be bridging gaps. It should be causing other people to know that the God of peace wants to be at peace with them. And that the peace that you have towards them also is the peace that God gives us. That great shepherd of the sheep. And sometimes I think people think I'm joking when I say I'm not actually the pastor of this church. The word shepherd can also be translated pastor. But in this sense, the shepherd that's in view here is one who tended the flock. Jesus is the good shepherd. I'm an under shepherd. I'm an assistant. I get to help out the great shepherd of the sheep. Sometimes I wonder if I make his job easier or harder. You know? It's like the shepherd's going that way. I'm like, well, we can just go over here. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. You see, the covenant that brought the law into the forefront of the minds of the Jewish people was not an everlasting covenant. The covenant of the law, the old covenant, ended when Jesus said it is finished. That was not an everlasting covenant, it was a temporary covenant. This is how you shall worship me. And in effect, God said, and then he gave them this wonderful thing that we would call loosely Judaism. The law in all of its facets, feast days, ceremonies, offerings, the temple, all of those things. But that was temporary. The Apostle Paul actually tells us that it was simply a tutor, a schoolmaster, to bring us finally to Christ, to the actual Messiah that the Jewish people were looking for. To make you complete in every good work, to do his will. Working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight 
through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ is at work in his church. The question is, are we actually seeking his will? Sometimes I think church becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is the direction we're going, and we almost go there in spite of whether Jesus is going there or not. We're supposed to be seeking the will of the Lord. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The church's purpose is not to accomplish the will of some board of governors, some group of men. The purpose of the church is to accomplish the will of the Lord. His will be done. And that we would be well-pleasing to him while we're doing it. Which means we need to love one another as he has loved us. We need to die to ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. We need to live our lives in a way that as best as we possibly can, we live at peace with all men. That we have purpose to live lives of sinlessness. To take the things that would tear us apart and to put them off as the old man. To shed those garments of the flesh and to put on the garments of praise. And I appeal to you, brethren, to bear the word of exhortation. Now it's taken us a little over six months to complete this book, doing it on Sundays, roughly 45 minutes to 52 minutes at a time. You can imagine the person that read this letter in its entirety all the way through. You talk about being overwhelmed. Bear the word of exhortation. For I have written to you in a few words. Doesn't seem like a few words to me. The depth of truth contained in this book is is massive, especially if you were a Jewish believer who had been resting and trusting in the law all of your life. You know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see with you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you to all of the saints, and those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Shepherds have always had a tough job. You know why? Because sheep are unruly. (laughs) Have you ever had anything to do with sheep? They're not the sharpest animal in the farm. They they are, well, there's a reason the Bible calls them wayward. Their, Their sense of direction is off, generally speaking. They are individualistic. They do not like going anywhere other than where they themselves want to go, in a general sense. That's why when you see sheep, normally there'll be a shepherd and a couple of sheepdogs, and the sheepdogs kind of patrol the outside of the flock. Because the sheep 
continually are trying to wander off somewhere else. They want to go to another pasture. And so the shepherd had a single job, and that was to lead the sheep, not herd the sheep, lead the sheep. Notice there's a difference between those two things. The sheepdogs herd the sheep. The shepherd leads the sheep. The shepherd says, this is green pasture. That is fresh water. This is where we're going. Follow me. The sheepdogs kind of bite at their heels. But the shepherd didn't do that. The shepherd simply tried to lead. And this is so important when you think about the writer of Hebrews writing to Jewish believers. I'm just trying to lead you to green pasture. I'm trying to lead you to fresh water. I'm trying to lead you away from danger. The job of shepherding today is still very similar to what it was 2,000 years ago in Palestine. It's just leading sheep. It's saying, this is the way to go. Follow me. Every pastor should take up that model. This is the way to go. Follow me as I follow Christ, Paul said. Follow my example. Be an imitator of Christ. Interestingly enough, in Palestine, when shepherds come to a water source whether that's a well or a stream, very often different flocks of sheep all come to that same watering place or maybe that same hillside. But you can tell whose sheep each group is by who they follow. Because when the shepherd of the sheep speaks, the sheep hear his voice and they follow him. So every pastor is called to do one thing, to speak forth the voice of the Lord so that people hear the voice of the Lord and they will follow him because he's the great shepherd. So in that sense, pastors are a little more like sheepdogs. We're kind of every once in a while, we kind of got a nip at a heel every once in a while. Every once in a while, we kind of have to go, man, you're going the wrong direction. That's not good pasture over there. If you eat that, you're going to get sick. Hear the voice of the Lord. He wants you to lie down in green pasture. He wants to lead you by still water. I'm just trying to get you to go that way, okay? We need to see this the way the Lord intended. He loves us that much that he would take all these laws and rules and regulations all designed by God, by the way, and say, now let me just simply lead you to green pasture. Let me take you to still water. Let my rod, my staff comfort you. Let the sheepdogs do their job, but follow me. Notice 
prayers wanted, lots of them. I don't know a pastor that hasn't spent time in the crucible of criticism. I don't know one. I myself have, certainly. And this isn't to complain about that aspect. It's to say, pastors need prayer. Leaders need prayer. Herding sheep sometimes is not exactly an easy job. It it is one of those things, you, you do get bit every once in a while. You get dirty every once in a while. And so pray. Pray for those that you have linked yourself with in ministry. Pray for, I'll, I'll just, let me be blunt, pray for me. Pray for Pastor Chet. Pray for our families. Pray for poor Brandon and Becca who are in quarantine in Korea right now. Pray for leaders. Satan loves to take us out. If he can take us out, guess what happens? The sheep get to scatter. So pray. The writer of Hebrews is saying he knows of nothing. His conscience is clear. He doesn't have any clear directive from the Lord. There's something that needs to change. Notice what I just said. I didn't say there isn't something that couldn't stand to be better. It's just there wasn't any open rebellion, no sinful behavior. There wasn't something that clearly could be defined as not God's will. And to that end... It brings in this issue of living honorably before people. When your conscience is clear, that's easy to do. When you have a clear conscience and you're, you're not wandering around going, man, I, I don't know if I lived honorably. And so the picture here, whether you're in leadership or whether you're leading in your own home, make it your aim to have nothing wrong in your life that you need to concern yourself with. Those little pinpricks of the Holy Spirit going, no, you really shouldn't say that. You really shouldn't go there. You really shouldn't do that. Those are areas where God is saying, look, I'm trying to keep you on an honorable path here. I want you to go the right way. So I'm speaking these things into your life so that you won't have to give an account for them. And it's so very true for those of us in leadership. I, I hope and pray someday that I'll wake up in the morning and I won't be able to think of a single thing I couldn't have done better. Couldn't have said in a different way to maybe be less harsh or less offensive to someone or that there's something that couldn't stand. There can always be improvement. But pray to that end. The writer of Hebrews here is almost assuredly a leader in the church. And whatever the problem was, the writer of Hebrews recognized that he needed prayer, or possibly she needed prayer. There's a possibility that this letter was drafted by Priscilla. So for those of you that don't like that, tough. (laughs) Sorry. The 
the verb tense here is an imperative. It's continual. It's like keep praying. Don't stop praying. Continually be in prayer for your church, for leadership, for your family. Be a person of prayer. It ends with a doxology that is often used actually in church services. Now may the God of peace who brought up the Lord Jesus Christ. This is part of the, the Apostles' Creed. This beautiful encouragement to us. But it begins describing God as a God of peace. The only thing that cures disunity in the body of Christ is peace. That's why Jesus said, my peace I leave you. Not peace as the world gives, not the absence of conflict. I'm giving you my peace. The peace of God which rules in our hearts. The peace of God that's been bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. The peace of God that's come to you as a gift. You didn't earn it. The peace of God that transcends every single thing that you've ever done in your life that wasn't okay with God. Think of that one for a second. You have peace with God, not because you are guiltless, but because you were declared cleansed and free. Oh, you definitely are still a sinner, and so am I. We add to that long list of things that we've been forgiven from pretty much every day. Prayerfully, they're not major things like they used to be. But nonetheless, your bad attitude needs forgiveness. Matter of fact, your unforgiveness needs forgiveness. Your bitterness needs forgiveness. Your hatred towards your fellow man needs forgiveness. Your covetousness. Your materialism. Your envy. Your strife. Your gossip, your vanity. You didn't just say that, did you, Pastor? Vanity. Vanity. The vain things that you seek after. You see, you have peace with God because God's forgiven you. And the peace that you have with God is the peace you're supposed to offer to other people. It's not yours to hang on to. It's yours to give away as a gift. Oh, you have it and will have it. But because you have it, you should want to give it away. It should be part of who you are. And in that sense, church, think of what the church would look like if we were emissaries of that kind of peace to other people. If we actually lived that way, it's like, God's forgiven me. How can I hold something against you? That's why Matthew 18 says what it says, by the way. If you will not forgive your brother who sins against you, then neither will your Father in heaven forgive you, but rather turn you over to the torturers. You know why it says that? Because it's unconscionable that someone who's been forgiven so much would be unforgiving to others. It's unconscionable. It can't be who we are. That kind of peace. That I have that kind of peace with God. It's mind-boggling to me. 
that God, I'm at peace with God. I used to be under the wrath of God. God rightly should have destroyed my very existence. But I have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And on top of that, I'm going to be raised into the glories of heaven one day. How can a person who's received that not desire to give that to anyone else and everyone else? Your spouse with whom you're fighting deserves that peace. Your children who have disappointed you deserve that peace. Your boss who has cheated you deserves that peace. Your state who's failed you deserves that peace. Those people in your life that have disappointed you deserve that peace. Why? Because you got it as a gift. You didn't earn it. You should give it away. Willingly. Abundantly. To anyone who would ask of the hope that lies within you. Church, if if Jesus isn't raised and in heaven, then we're all in deep trouble. We should just go home and watch reruns of, you know, family ties or something. How sad it would be if the church loses the power of this doxology. It's why it says, praise God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm following the good shepherd. And he is both great and he is also good. He's the great shepherd, but he's also the eternally good shepherd. Amen? They had all kinds of other shepherds in Judaism. Aaron, Moses, David, Joshua. You could go on and on and on and on. Great King David was a shepherd. But Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I'm the shepherd of shepherds. I'm like no other shepherd. And I want you to follow me. That's the message for the church. And I pray that we get this in in our day and time where we're living today. The world needs the church to show people the peace of God and follow the Good Shepherd. Amen? There's two very simple requests here. First, that God would make you complete in every good work to do his will. And second, that he would be working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. These seem similar, and, and they are to some degree. But God works in us to make us the kind of people that please him. And then God equips us to do that kind of work in the world. These are two very simple things, but they sometimes get forgotten in the midst of all of our busyness. God is working in you to will and to do his good purpose. Amen? He's not working in you just to make you wealthy 
or, or to you know, give you a better station in life. He's not working in you so much to that end as he is to do his will. And if Jesus himself said, my will is to do the will of him who sent me, how much more so should that be our will? My will is to do the will of God. It's like, Lord, make me the man you want me to be. Make me the husband you want me to be. Make me the father you want me to be. Make me the friend that you want me to be. Make me the employer that you want me to be. Make me the kind of employee you want me to be. Make me the citizen you want me to be. Make me the neighbor you want me to be. Let your will be done in my life so that I, Jesus, am like you wherever you plant me. Church, this is so important for our world right now. Because the world is confused about who Jesus is because of what they see in the church. The world has lost sight, I think, a lot of who Jesus is because they look at the church and if the church is supposed to be a representation of Christ and the church is bickering and fighting... The church is divided. The church no longer preaches the gospel. They preach something else. If the church isn't who we're supposed to be, if we're not seeking the will of God, then the will of God is stymied in our world. It's through us being what Jesus called us to be, and then corporately and collectively being what he's called all of us to be together, that's how the gospel goes forth in this world. It doesn't go forth with all the infighting and bickering. And so he's saying, make me complete in every good work to do your will, God. Incredible results. These come from Isaiah 63 and Zechariah 11. If that's all that ever happened in your life, you would be a real agent for the cause of the king. Those are two major things. They're a lifelong ambition, quite honestly. God's still equipping me. Anybody in here need more faith? I do. God's still equipping me in that. Anybody need more patience? Yep, unfortunately. God's still equipping me in that. Anybody occasionally lose their temper, need a little more kindness? Yep, God's still equipping me in that. You understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to be transparent with you so that you understand we're all in this together. We may not be in the exact same place every day, but we're all works in progress. We all need the king to work in our lives. And the point is, is if we allow the king to work in our lives individually, then we're better equipped to work corporately together to an end. Amen? See, when I'm most like Jesus and you're most like Jesus, we get together, we're even more like Jesus. Amen? Because my collective wanting to be like Jesus, and your collective wanting to be like Jesus is added together. There's a sum, there's a total. And the total of the good that's in us is greater than it would be if they just someone just met me. Because you have gifts I don't have, and I have gifts you don't have. 
And there are things that God's gifted you in that he's given you a supreme gift in that area. Maybe he's given me a minor gift in that area. And so you can lead, I can follow, and vice versa. God intended us to function this way. As we all follow the good shepherd, then he will lead us to green pasture. And the final is really the end. I urge you, dear friends, to listen carefully to what I've said in this brief letter. There's commands, there's warnings, there's encouragements, there's hard things, there's easy things, there's glorious things, there's all kinds of things in this letter that we could look back on and go, Lord, that's a lifetime worth of things to do and things to be, and things to think on, and pray on, and attempt to accomplish for the king and for his kingdom. And he's saying, look, it's a brief letter. Why do you suppose it says that? Because such is the life of every believer. Every believer's life is supposed to be a brief glimpse of the work of the king. Imagine if you were to sit down and write everything that God's done in your life. How long would that take you? It'd take me a very, 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 very long time. It would be an extremely large book, actually. Now imagine here's this short letter that we call the letter to the Hebrews. And in it are all these things that just took us six months to study on Sundays. Imagine what our collective lives now look like to the world because your life is filled with those things and so is mine. Our existence collectively together touch all kinds of areas and aspects of our world. And I think God is really trying to say to us, look, the end of this is actually the beginning of your life, of our life as a church. What God would want to do with us is we follow the good shepherd. It's only the end of this particular letter, which was short. But it's not the end of God's work in you. Or in me. Or in us collectively. And says, greet all your leaders and all of God's people. Those in Italy... We have mentioned Timothy here, so that's one of the reasons that people believe that maybe Paul wrote this, because they were linked together so closely. I don't think it makes that great of a case for it. I'm not sure it even matters. But the point is this. We represent the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We do, you do, I do, the church does. And in that sense, that continuing grace that's in your life, that continuing grace that's in my life, that continuing grace in the church, should be something that's visible when we greet people. Very often, if you 
go to some other country. I've had the privilege of traveling around the world and having letters of recommendation traveling with me as I'm doing business for the church. Because I represent a group of people, actually here in California, we represent a corporation called Calvary Chapel South Bay, which is a 501c3 nonprofit religious corporation. And so if we were to go do something or buy something or pay for an orphanage, it has to be purchased by somebody. It's not purchased by me. It's purchased by the church. And in that same way, wherever you go, you either take a recommendation from the Lord Jesus or maybe there's shame that comes with people meeting you. We want to be recommended by the king. You want to be the type of person that God would send someone to. Go talk to Jeff. Go see what he's about, because that's what I'm about. Go to Calvary Chapel South Bay. That's what I'm about as a church. The end of this is the beginning of our story. The gospel, the cross, the grace of the Lord Jesus that's being poured out. And to that end, we have to center our lives on his eternally superior way to that of organized religion. We can't trust in works to save us. It's by grace we've been saved through faith. We can't fall back into a life of sin. We can't trust ourselves. We need to trust the Lord. At the end of all of this, it's really not letting anything come between us and Jesus. Let Christ be magnified in our lives. Grace be with you all. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. We have a little treat coming up for you. Pastor Chet's going to be teaching this Thursday and next Sunday. We have some guest worship coming as well. And so going to be some fun things going on. We're going to be starting a series called The Hard Sayings of Jesus, which will be a topical series. We're going to go through all of those tough parts of the New Testament uh, where Jesus said something and you look at it like, me, perfect? Not happening. So we're going to be having some fun together as we go through those hard sayings. I want to strongly encourage you to walk in that grace and be gracious to other people this week. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for the incredible privilege of being an under-shepherd. Lord, a sheepdog at times and being part of this church and a part of the body of Christ. And we would ask, Lord, that you would use us for your glory. Make us gracious and kind. Lead us into green pasture and by still water, Lord, so we can accomplish your work in this world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.